0: Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite media. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my marvelous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt?
1: Uh, Your reference to Shazam goes here.
0: (laughs) Uh, There's so many many things we could spiral off onto that one, but I'm not going to do that today. In the future, we're due for a comic book episode the near future. Uh, but today we're going to be answering more of your questions. We'll see how many we can get through. Uh, last week we got through all of one. <laughs> we'll see how far we get today. If you have questions for this or any of our podcasts, be sure to send those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, we specify the show that it is for and any special pronunciation for your name. If you want to send your questions into Discord, we have the Q and Podcast Questions channel, which is open for everybody. And as a way of saying thank you to our Patreon subscribers and you know your support helps us keep going. We appreciate it. Uh we have one set aside specifically for that, which is the Patreon Podcast and Q Questions channel. Uh we look there first, but the same rules apply, tell us the show that it's for, and specify any special pronunciations of your name. But without further ado, let's get into it. This first one comes from Azure Loon. Uh, Having a lovely time soaring through the Outland Cup trials. While in Netherstorm, I began thinking about the parallels to Draenor. Might there one day be a timey-wimey way to see Farallon? The glimpses we get in the domes suggest a lush and vibrant zone once thrived there. So, interestingly enough, and I don't know how many people remember this, but in the early development for Warlords of Draenor, we were actually told, I believe it was like BlizzCon 2013, I want to say, it was supposed to be a zone. It was supposed yeah, to be a zone. Twenty thirteen. Um, yeah,
1: but yeah, they did. They did. In fact, multiple times, uh, mention Farallon as something they wanted to do or were planning to do. Um, keeping in mind that Farallon Faralon, and Netherstorm are. It's it's interesting thing about Outland is that a lot of the zones are actually combinations of more than one zone. Oh, in like, Outland for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for instance, uh, Netherstorm is Farallon plus parts of. The areas next to it um so in blade's edge in in um
0: gorgrond. blade's edge
1: in 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 uh outland wow brain would not say that word is parts of gorgrond and parts of frostfire ridge yep. which is you know frostfire ridge which is now not there because it got broken up into parts of other places and th- there's like a the zangar sea in uh in of Dr- Draenor is zangar marsh so there's there's places that got changed by you know the world getting ripped apart by by Nerzul and all that. Uh so yeah there's there's a we saw a little tiny basically what i'm saying is we saw elements of Netherstorm in Warlords we, when we went to Gorgrond. Uh just like we saw elements of Blade's Edge there and we saw elements of Blade's Edge in uh Frostfire. We didn't get to see anything of what was Farallon, other than we know that there was a big island that was on the map that you could see it that that's the main is the main part of Farallon, but we never went there. Uh, they were talking about it, but it, we didn't do so.
0: Yeah, it was uh, in uh, early beta maps for warlords of Draenor actually had, if they removed it later um, after they decided that they weren't going to do it, um, which is actually a little bit interesting because uh, Tanan jungle actually took over what uh, Farallon was going to be in game terms. Um, but what we know in game from what we did, because there was actually stuff that was left over, uh, the mission table in particular actually had uh, the one of the things where you would send, I think it was the, the shipyard, um, mm-hmm. you would send a, a, a basically a group or a, a an exploration party to go find uh, Farallon to try to figure out. Maybe a little bit more about the origins of Netherstorm before it fully transformed. And while Matt is correct that it definitely was a combination of pieces of Farallon and uh, Gorgrund, Farallon is one of those things where, like you you've pointed out here, Ezra Loon, that the the domes are sort of like the only thing we sort of have left that are like almost like lush terrarias of little pieces of it that are out of phase with reality. And I do remember that in the original, I think it was the alpha uh, for Warlords of Draenor, there were some art assets that were actually starting to be put in place for uh, Farallon. Uh, Two things in particular. One was something that looked very much like Crystal Song Forest. Uh, Crystalline trees, uh, large crystals that look very much like the, what was the name of the Apexis crystals area in, in um, mm-hmm. blades and mm-hmm. blade judge mountain um, leaning more to that credence of sort of like, they're all sort of, you know, got kind of blown up and, and reshuffled when, when Outland became Outland. Um, but you start to see that you start to see those crystals, which we knew or heard about were on Draenor uh, before everything exploded. We don't necessarily know the full extent of what they were or where they came from, or if they were stuff that, to uh that world as the uh draenei showed up uh onto draenor
1: yeah we we, we know the apexes probably weren't draenei because there's talk of them going back in time to the very beginning of Aracoa culture and you see the apexes stuff yeah Oh, uh, the- what's the name of that city you go to um The one with the giant uh, solar laser and stuff, that's all kind of drawn from the same technological well as the Apexis. So it's probably not Draenei, but that doesn't mean we know where it is from. And for all we know, another Naru ship might have crashed there. Who knows? The planet seems to be like... I will say this. It's very apparent that the Naru interact with the spirits of native Draenor beings. Like like orcs and so forth.
0: And I think you're thinking of the spires of Arak, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, sorry, but yeah, we don't we don't know enough about what it is. But in regard to your question, is there a timey wimey way that we could? Yes, uh, there's always a possibility that we could.
1: Yeah, we uh, could have, in fact, done it already. We already were in a place where we could have timey wimey it, and we didn't get to. But we we you know they could always put us back there if they wanted to.
0: Yeah, or we could, or we could deviate and, and wind up going there via the timeways or finding out a little bit more about it, if it makes sense to the story. Um, interestingly enough, and going back to uh, the PTR for Warlords of Draenor, uh, back in Patch 6.2, there was a legendary quest that Khadgar would give you uh, to send you to Farallon, which would uh, get you to complete a naval mission, to which was sort of left in the game, but not really. It had been modified slightly, uh, to get a pearl from Farallon. Uh, and it described the island as being filled with beautiful fields and forests, dotted with natural crystalline formations and roiling magical pools that made it the magical nexus of Draenor. Uh, but that it was nearly impossible to reach due to the frequent and unpredictable magical storms in the surrounding seas. Uh, it never made it to live, but it really is a cool concept, right? It is, it's one of those things where it would have been a really neat area to go to. Uh And honestly, it might've been a, I don't want to call it a proto area, but look at the expansions that came afterwards and how many times did we get, uh, you know, extra islands or things that sort of fit that same bill, like Shadowlands, we had Corthia, which really 100% fell into that category. Um, you know, you had, in Mr. Pandaria, you had the Timeless Isles, uh, Isle of Thunder, the Isle of Giants. There was a ton of precedence for this, and it's sort of like a, an MMO mechanic to sort of have an island that you can get to later for whatever, the, the, whatever purpose they need fit. But it would be nice to maybe see some of those other areas that were sort of lost to time. Because it's not the only one. There's been a ton of areas that we've lost to just development, right? Like there's Yeah, like
1: the Timeless Isle.
0: The Timeless Isle.
1: Yeah, there's some Tim's there. Have you there, seen a Tim there?
0: Well, it depends on if a player named Tim is actually on the island. Does it? I mean have it never is seen Tim?
1: one. Nope. It is la, la belle Elon sans Tim. That is what it is. It is without Tim <laughs> or time. But you know, no rosemary, no sage. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just being weird. I'm sorry, guys. But you know, seriously, that we, you know, for all we know, you could go there via the timeless Isle because the timeless Isle, we don't know where it goes when it's not on Azeroth. It, goes to, uh, it just goes out of phase with time. Does that mean it's in phase with some other world? I don't know. Could We could say that if we wanted to. Like, If somebody at Blizzard wanted that to be the case, it could absolutely be the case.
0: But maybe one day. Maybe one day we'll see that. But as of right now, uh, I don't know that there's a reason to go back quite yet. Maybe that will change after the War Within when we start to discover more about random giant crystals that... F- Pulsate like the sun. Maybe we'll start looking into crystal technology a little deeper then. But I hope that answers your question. I think we're going to move on to our next one. Uh, has it ever been established where hearthstones come from and how they are made? As far as I'm aware, we've never been given an explanation, but I've always held a non-canon belief that hearthstones are made from the same material as meeting stones, as well as the brokers. My reasoning for this is simply because the etchings across the broker's arms are of the same color and similar-ish layout design. This doesn't really have much ground to work on, nor does it have any concrete evidence, but just a fun thought. Moving on with the latest update, we finally visit the Emerald Dream, where we can find a number of creatures, including the Stag, which, funny enough, has a small stone floating above their head with an incredible likeness to a hearthstone. What are your thoughts on the origin of Hearthstones? Um, and there are some images included that we, you know, for our, our perusing. So thank you very much for that, Labat. Um, I don't know. Like, Matt, what do you, what do you think of Hearthstones? We never got really, we've never got an official explanation, right?
1: No, I don't believe so. Oh, you want more? <laughs>
0: Always. Um, I'm greedy.
1: Okay. Let me put it this way. I don't think, I think that they were originally conceived of as just a game mechanical thing. Yeah, it was just a, a way for people to get fast travel, you know, to back and forth to inns and so forth because they didn't want to actually have, they didn't want to actually have to, you know, make people ride all the way to get everywhere. They wanted to make it once you got to a place, you could get back and forth more easily. Um, so I think that was the original intent of Hearthstones. But keep in mind, they used to have an hour cooldown too, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at some point, Hearthstones went from, just something that was convenient for the game. They started having characters have them in the fiction.
0: Yeah. Like Lillian uh, Voss has one, right?
1: Yeah. And I, I think uh, is made out of a gravestone. I think
0: Bane has yeah. one as well. Yes.
1: Yeah. So Toronto has one as well. Yeah. At some point, somebody started making the things. Uh, I don't know if it's supposed to be dwarven or if it's supposed to be elven or if it's something else entirely, but they're all over the place. Uh, it seems like a lot of important people have them. And it's, so there is something in the game about this. Like they exist they're they're there. Um, It's not just a story convenience anymore. I mean, it's not just a gameplay convenience. It's not just like ludic it's luna narrative now, where there's actually a story involved, but as to where they're from, I no idea. I mean, you made some good ideas. Uh, You didn't mention the ethereals and I kind of find myself thinking, Stones that allow you to just pop through space. I mean, it's basically the same as a teleport, right?
0: It, it is, but it's a um, almost like a more limited version of it. So,
1: yeah, it's it's interesting though. It doesn't it doesn't make a portal. It's just one moment you're you're doing the the hand gesture, and the next moment you're just back where this thing's set up to. And it feels like the name Hearthstone feels like it's implying the basic tenant of it, that it is tied to a hearth. It's tied to a place that you consider like a home or a safe haven. I, I don't, I don't want to get too weird about this, but it kind of feels like it's something the Titans would do.
0: Yeah. And that's where I, I kind of think that there's some credence there with it being almost Titanic in origin, or it could even be first ones in origin, because let's be honest, we saw a lot of stuff like this while we were in the Shadowlands. But I mean, the, Textbook definition of a hearthstone is that it is a palm-sized oval-shaped crystal bound by arcane magic to a particular person and place. Uh, They can be used to instantly travel from any distance to the stone's origin point. Only the specific person that a stone is bound to can make use of it. They are usually chiseled from a rare material, though Lillian Voss owns a hearthstone made out of a chunk of gravestone. Uh, They are covered in glowing blue runes, one of them meaning home. And the others referring to the location and person they're bound to teleporting using hearthstone is referred to as hearthing, which we all know. It's sort of the community term for it uh, and is done by holding the stone and concentrating until it flares and causes the holder to materialize at their destination. Uh, the amount of energy that they claim to uh, change the pattern for creating a new uh, either new one or making a change to the patterns of it is monumental. Um, They can stop working if they become worn or damaged. Uh, And if you change the owner of it, it requires a monumental effort of both people. So hearthstones can change hands over time. And we know that they exist in other planes of existence as well. Um, If you want to take it uh, to a more literal sense of it, look at your garrison on Draenor in an alternate reality. There is a hearthstone that is made out of material from there that binds you to it in the current raid if you are in the emerald dream going through uh making your way through that that particular temple uh one of the things that you get from laridar is a flame-bound hearthstone uh it is a stone made from the material around there uh and then bound with those arcane or those particular pieces of power it can propel you you through
1: that's that's making me think of something go ahead uh, since this whole thing mentioned the brokers and how the broker symbology seems similar, and that would imply that it's either possibly tied to Xerath Mortis, which we talked about with the first ones and all that, mm-hmm. um, Helia created the Firelands, mm-hmm. not by herself. Uh, she had, you know, she was helping master Ra, but master Ra, you know, all those various planes, it's possible now that I'm thinking about this, like that could actually be connected to them. Like they might have something to do with the uh trip to Zareth mortis or even you know because Zareth mortis is one of the Zareths, and we know there's others and they're each kind of like a home base for reality itself there's something to this idea that the idea that they might have it might come from helia or even ra because they're they're out there making pocket universes right Oh yeah, and, and the I mean Firelands is one of them, and you've got a guy who's creating a Hearthstone, and that seems tied into Elemental Magic, right? Because it's the Firelands. So, is it possible that every place you go that has a Hearthstone, you're literally tying it to the elements that are built into the structure? Like you're you're using instead of creating a big Arcane Portal, you're at you're basically talking to the elements to move you from place to place,
0: or talking to Azeroth itself. So. Or whatever, yeah, whatever yeah. plane you're bound to, because it can, like, it can teleport you through reality. It can teleport you through time and space. Yeah, um, you can
1: move from Draenor 35 years ago to Stormwind now. Yep. Via these things, and you don't. It's not like when Cadgar uh, shows up and makes a portal. He's like, it's a, it, it's a, it's a monumental undertaking. But that Hearthstone, you don't have to do anything to it. It's like you just can use the original Hearthstone that you had.
0: You can be you can be in the Shadowlands and return back to the the you know the inn inside of the middle of Stormwind if you want to. Um it's an interesting thing. Well, game mechanic aside, it has grown, like you said, in importance in storytelling. Uh interestingly enough, I, just going through the list of people that have hearthstones, um, there was a night elf ambassador uh that was a Zenishari refuge a refugee that, you know, back during the War of the Ancients had it. Um, Tyrande actually was on record of wanting to potentially destroy it, but couldn't because it was so difficult to create a new one. Um, You have Anduin and Jaina both have one. Um, Alonsus Fowl has his own. Uh, Gary Cofferdam from Drustfar has one. Uh, You have Goldbraids has one. Fleet Admiral Tethys has one. Lord Maxil Tyrosus has one. Uh, Haman from the Isle of Thunder has one. Lillian Voss, we've mentioned, has her own. Hommel Rune Totem has one, uh, which is bound to Moonglade of all places. Thrall has one, which takes him back to Orgrimmar. And then Vol'jin had one as well, um, which I think is really interesting that they started using them in game. Like even Jaina, Jaina, a very powerful mage who can just open portals forever, still has one. Uh, I think it's really, it was formerly tied to uh, the, her tower, but that's gone now. Yeah. So now it's, now it's Stormwind. Mm-hmm. It was Stormwind.
1: But I mean, it's, it's probably, yeah, now it's probably Kul Tiras somewhere.
0: It's probably Kul Tiras somewhere. But it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to think about it. The fact that it probably is tied to something that is home or safety. Uh, the fact that innkeepers, specifically innkeepers, seem to have the magic that allow them to alter the runes just enough to anchor you to that particular place. Nobody else does it. It's always an innkeeper. And that ties in with where the Hearthstone game comes from, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's it's wild. Yeah,
1: it's actually interesting to think about the concept that inns in World of Warcraft might have a more esoteric origin than they do in our world. And that's kind of fascinating to think about.
0: Like, they represent a certain feeling of safety and peace or, like, or whatever.
1: Yeah, like, the tradition of hospitality seems to go back to, like, you know, the night elves had it, the mm-hmm. trolls had it, and you can get hearthstones in any inn in Azeroth. So, at this point, it's, I don't want to say technology, because it's magic, but it's it's a magic that is almost universally known, and it can be bound by people who are just innkeepers. They're not mages. They're not wizards or anything. They They don't summon and control the power of the hearthstone which is demonstrably real is something that you can attune just by the position and we don't know how that is or why that is but we know that it is because like you know a completely normal hearts you know in hearth uh, stone i mean a, a completely normal innkeeper can do it like we've we found dead innkeepers who had you know previously had been binding Hearthstones, so yeah there's nothing whatever it takes to do, it doesn't require huge amounts of, of magic either because the magic is already there. And the fact that it's so hard to break heartstones implies that the magic is already there and all it needs is somebody who has the trying to get the right term, somebody who has the authority to speak for the hearth. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think, I think that makes sense, right? Like, cause there's a certain amount of, like you said, the hospitality and, and going back to, the re like our world's concept of hospitality and the magic contained therein. Um, and even if you want to go into like depictions of the fae Wilds and and whatnot, it's a it's a sacred bond. It's a very powerful thing. When you are responsible for the hospitality of another, you are comporting yourselves as the arbiter of their safety. You are in charge of their life, their well being, and seeing to their needs as long as they show the requisite respect and uh, necessary motions to maintain your hospitality. Um, It's why in a lot of like the mythology and a lot of the, um, you know, fairy tales, when somebody invokes the right of hospitality, it's almost like a ceasefire. It can't, it's immutable. It's like a law, a primal force that cannot or should not be trifled with. And so if you are an innkeeper, you are sort of the physical manifestation of what it is to be an arbiter of hospitality you have people in your rooms that you must keep safe you have people that come to your through your door seeking warmth and comfort and food uh you have people that are you know show up to seek camaraderie like in going to the hearthstone route the the game hearthstone The inns are filled with everybody, right? It's not just Alliance or Horde. It's not just, uh, you know, the civil races or the barbarous races, though those do exist. Everybody there is welcome. Everybody is welcome in that tavern, and it is a neutral space. Fighting is not allowed, which is why they have the, uh, you know, the games to sort of replace any sort of argument or, or necessary violence that would need to be visited. And so... If an innkeeper is the ultimate manifestation of what it is to keep somebody safe and be the the that representation of hospitality, it would make sense that they would understand the inherent magic of a hearthstone, which is, in essence, a safety trigger. It's a recall device. It takes you to a place of warmth and safety. I think that's absolutely fascinating. Anything else you want to add to, uh, to that one before we move on there, Matt? I think we pretty much
1: covered it. I just think it's interesting that, in a way, it's something that hasn't really been touched on much. It's it it's there. We accept that it's there. You know, it's just it is really fascinating to me that this is a thing that's there, and we haven't done much with it, and we haven't really explored it. But just people just accept it, and mm-hmm. then it's like you can you can get it in like you, know, you can get it in the Lion's Pride or whatever. Uh, Goldshire, that's the Lion's Pride, right? I believe so. Yeah, you can go to the Lion's Pride, and in between, the, you know, the all the lar- all the earping, you can get yourself a magical artifact that Teronda Whisperwind thinks is too hard to destroy, from from the guy who serves you beer. You know, and it's it's really kind of fun and interesting. So it, it'd be kind of fun to to see more about it, but at the same time, I kind of like not knowing. I kind of like it just being there, if there- that makes sense.
0: So funnily enough, before and I, this is just a random aside, and I just was thinking about this. There used to be a back in the days of Vanilla WoW, when the game was brand new, Hearthstones were a thing that was unheard of uh, until this point, uh, because other MMOs didn't really have a homeward bound uh, mechanic. There wasn't really a a way to teleport. And most of them fast travel wise to get back to your safe haven. Um, The Hearthstone was unique and a lot of community speculation evolved around it. And not only that, but the fact that a player character couldn't die. And I, I promise I'll try to make this quick so we can move on. Um, but I remember there was a community member way back in the day who went by the name of Pharaoh um, who wrote a story that got a lot of like attention at the time, which was that hearthstones were magical manifestations that not only allowed somebody to sort of anchor themselves to a place, but were actually crafted through this unspoken bond or ritual of becoming an adventurer to safeguard the world.
2: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.
0: and that Azeroth itself before we even knew what Azeroth really was because we had some we knew that it was at the time like a titan or a titan egg or whatever but it wasn't really clarified it just was what it was um that it was a reward from Azeroth to those who sort of made that pledge to keep Azeroth safe and to anchor them not only to a place of safety but to Azeroth itself so that they could not pass from this plane. And this is before we knew about the Shadowlands. This is before we knew about what we know with the Pantheon of Life and Death, probably before they even knew what they were doing with the Pantheon of Life and Death and everything else in between as well. But I always thought it was fascinating that community members came up with a very compelling argument of why a Hearthstone was so important, why the magic was so ancient, because it had always existed, right? It... It was something that the very first adventurers or the very first people that stood f- against waves of of demons or a- essence of, of enemies that would wage war upon the world would have had. They or, or maybe were spoken to. We know that Azeroth whispers to people or had whispered to people before Magni became the voice. Uh, heck, it's technically kind of maybe doing it now to Anduin and Thrall and a bunch of other people. Um but maybe that magic was whispered into those that would keep others safe while those others would go forth and put themselves at harm to protect the world. It was always a fascinating thing. I, and not not to go off on a complete wild tangent, I do kind of miss where we didn't know as much as we know now because fan theories or or player theories like that were able to become developed and kind of go out into the world and were just as viable as anything that the devs were making at the time. So, Master, I don't know if you still listen to podcasts or if you're still around and playing the game or in the community, but, heck, I remember that story, and shout-out to you. <laughs> All right, but I think we're going to move on to our next one, and this one comes from Kayla. Uh, my qu- question is maybe a little vague, but if the Void and Light are basically two opposites but the same, is there a way to wield Void the way that Paladins or Priests, etc. wield Light without being corrupted? I am playing a Lightforged Journey Priest who basically dropped all affiliation with the Light and only wields Shadow and Void. I know, probably not the greatest choice lore-wise. Uh, I have since started having her train under a Death Knight, trying to find new ways to wield the Void to gain more power And avoid corruption, but I don't want my character to seem too far-fetched from a general lore, which is hard when my only knowledge is anything I've heard from you guys during the episodes I've heard so far. Um, I actually think that's a really great question, and I'm hoping that we can help you maybe a little bit with your RP uh, background here with your character. I'm going to let Matt talk first, because I did a whole lot of talking on that last question.
1: First off, how do you know that you can use the light without corruption? Define corruption. Uh, That's one of the things that I think we've been seeing more and more as we go through the story of world of Warcraft is that the light isn't simple. It isn't easy to understand. And it takes a lot of raw willpower to control it. And we've seen that you can do, you can control it even while you're undead, like undead can control the light and, and not just like the forsaken priest who's cauterizing his wounds with the light, you know, you can Zeleac can straight up command the light like a paladin as a paladin. Cause he is a paladin, even though he's undead and under the control of the Lich King. Uh, so the relationship, and we've even seen more recently, Talia Menethil, the light literally animates her undead body. She's undead. She's not forsaken or scourge. Uh, the, the power that is keeping her in her state of not dead, not alive is the light. So, the first assumption that we, that you can wield the light without corruption—that uh, needs to be really analyzed. We've seen um, through the Maghar uh, story intro when you if you rec- when you recruit the Maghar to join the Horde that at least on that Draenor the light seems to have driven the people wielding it to zealotry. Like they're 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 not willing to stop and think about what they're doing anymore and we see that with the scarlet crusade scarlet crusade can control the light just fine so if if the light's so good and uncorrupting why is it just allow the Scarlet crusade to use it even though even some of the crusade admit they're using it to to burn people who might be innocent because they just can't take the chance you know they might be doing something bad maybe they're innocent but if they're innocent the light will just take them up when once they're ash and you know, so there's, there's a militant zealousness to the light. And we saw that with Zera, where Zera wasn't, she wasn't using shadow magic on Illidan. She wasn't channeling the void. She was straight up using the light and the light did not seem to have a problem with the concept of ripping Illidan's sense of self out and infusing him with its power to do what it wanted done, whether or not he was down for that.
0: I mean that's the origin story and birth that you go through with Lightforged.
1: Yeah, light. So there's a lot to be considered here in in terms of this. Uh, the light is not necessarily less "quote unquote" corrupt. It's just how it affects people. The light seems to affect the the void seems to affect people by like literally driving them mad with all the possibilities all the potential things that could happen. The light seems to drive people mad with the desire for just one outcome. Mm-hmm. Zealotry is there's one correct path. And if you won't walk it, I will make you. So there's your two sides thing. And so you, you do paladins in, in general. The thing is that I think that there's a, a tendency for the things that the light embodies to have an initial easier embracement like it's easier for for mortal beings to embrace those things because like you know light and it's metaphorical aspects like warmth safety knowing what's out there you if you're in the dark and you know all you have is this little torch light on your camp whatever's outside the realm could be there could be like lions out there you don't know what's out there going back to like our our earliest ancestors um when we finally had fire and could create our own light that light was safety it was warmth. It was, you know, you cook your food. It'll keep you from being surprised. You know, all these things it could do. They're much different than the void, which is everything you don't know what it is. It's every dark place that you haven't been into yet. Uh, in a weird way, it's actually kind of a very interesting horror idea. is the idea that, the, you know, dark, you know, the oldest and strongest fear of man is fear of the unknown. You know, that the, the, we are afraid of what we don't know what's out there could be anything. We don't know what it is. That's a frightening and that kind of fright can drive you mad. But at the same time, people explore into the unknown all the time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of the things we're compelled to do. So there is as much void as light in the way we view the world. It's just that too much of either one of them can have negative connotations. Uh, in terms of the holy light, too much of the holy light seems to make people mad in a completely different way than the void does but it still seems to drive people mad and also just like the light where i talked about how zeliac can can control the light the void elves are controlling the shadow in the void without all being like gibbering maniacs.
0: i was just going to say that that's like one of the things yeah. that they're they're sort of uh, based yeah. on their their mages or hunters or um Rangers, Rangers that are, are show a great deal of discipline and wield it as a weapon, but understand that it is a dangerous thing. Because yeah. that, that's one of the things that I think is really interesting as far as like, if you're going to RP this, your character having an understanding that what they're wielding is a weapon. And like any weapon, pointing the sharp end at yourself, uh, you always have to be mindful of it. You need to be careful and wary of it. And if your character is approaching it from a standpoint of wariness and cautiousness, but also understanding uh, that it is a loaded gun that they're wielding, I think you're fine. And I think it makes sense lore-wise. People do that all the time. Um, I mean, going back to fire, fire is a primal thing. It's an element that is, you know, equal parts destruction and life.
1: Yeah, fire, fire controlled, you know, can cook our food, can warm our houses, can, can help allow us to more easily shape the environment. It, you know, you can use fire to harden a spear, so it's, it stabs better. Uh, you can use fire to melt this weird ma- material you found and turn it into usable metal. Fire does a lot of great things, but fire can also burn down your house, destroy a forest, you know, sear you to death, create choking clouds of ash and smoke. Fire is inherently dangerous and that doesn't make it evil, but that doesn't make it good either. And the holy light is just as much inherently dangerous as the void. Yeah, like it, it's just that it's differently dangerous.
0: Take, take, take the word holy out of it and just refer to it as the light. And then you're, you're not, cause you can't ascribe to it a sort of the human or, or humanoid emotion that we normally would for ourselves because Matt's right it's just an entity it's just a thing it's not it's not good it it's not it bad wants. it wants what it, it, it wants it it does what it does right it's a primal force
1: yeah and I think it's really interesting that it is light that it is a metaphorically called the light because it does what light does light reveals things to you you know mm-hmm. with, with with light around you can see what's out there but seeing what's out there doesn't necessarily mean you respond properly to it. And like, I, you know, a lot of people can see things happening and then still manage to come up with complete mis- misnomers because they don't even consider it could be something else. Mm-hmm. They think it is this thing that I know what it is. And that's doubt without a, a, a person who doesn't know, who's never certain of anything is a fool. But a person who never doubts anything is a madman. And that's the problem with the light is it doesn't have a lot of room for doubt. Look at Zara. She didn't doubt much of anything. And now she's a piece, you know, she's a bunch of shards on the floor. So yeah, I, I do think that's an interesting role playing element is to 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 how to wield the, the, and the thing is, is I think you should never make it about like, if you're using shadow and void magic, it should always not just be dangerous. It should always feel like you are barely in control of it. Like you are fighting this thing because it's constantly trying to get you to do something else. I'm, I'm going to draw a parallel to something in my own life. I have like real bad ADHD. I have such, my ADHD is so bad that when I finally told my doctor all the symptoms that I had, they were like, Whoa, Oh yeah. Oh, you need to be on medication and being dealing with your ADHD brain can often be an all, awful lot like the way the void is portrayed in world of Warcraft because uh, I don't know how to explain this, but it's like your, your brain is desperately fighting you you like, I want to go do this thing. And your brain will like come up with every possible distraction it can think of to keep you from doing it. Like, Hey, but what about this shiny thing? And Hey, have you thought about this? And sometimes it works out really well. Like doing this show, Joe and I both tap into that side of our brains. We jump from tangent to tangent. Mm -hmm. We go all over the place, but same at the same time, sometimes Joe or I have to stop and say, no, hold on, hold on. This is not. Yeah, we're trying to do this. I feel like that's what it would be like to be channeling the void. Even if you're channeling it, you know, with full awareness of what it is and with, you know, the best possible intentions, you're always fighting it to, to show you the thing that will allow you to do what you want, you know? And, and I think that's really interesting way to approach it. Just the light, the light in general too, though, don't, don't act like the light is the good guy and the void is the bad guy. That is the thing to avoid, in my opinion. I the, think you've got an interesting idea because you've got a light forge who's like said F you to light, basically. Why? And and why have they chosen the void instead? What is it about the void that there's, that's attractive to them? And you could really go with this. Um, yeah. There's lots of answers. So Joe's trying to talk, so I'm going to stop.
0: No, me. I was going to say, I, I do really like that idea and I like that concept. I like the idea of a light forged uh sort of rallying against what they've they've been taught or what they've been uh made to think or feel or believe because the light the light is an interesting thing and we've talked about this a lot on the show um and hopefully you've listened to those episodes if not uh, i hope you get to them because i think it'll be very helpful for you the void and shadow is a bucking bronco you know what it is you're fighting against it from the moment you lay your hands on it the light, on the other hand, is a whisper assassin. It isn't very overt. And before Zera, like until then, until Zera tried to essentially rewrite Illidan, everybody was under the impression that Zera was there to help us. That Zera was a hero. That Zera was an emissary of the Light in all the right ways. Um, and then you that that big overt thing happened. But in the most most of the time, the light isn't big and overt. The light is, you know, gently pushing you to see very specific things or to look at things from a very specific angle. Look at Velen. Velen is unique in that the light speaks to him in visions. We don't see very many other people who get that. Uh, Anduin may be the next closest one, but also that is not too surprising based off of who he is and the fact of who his teacher was. But even then, Velen began to question what the light was showing him at one point, because it would show him a possibility and he had to accept it as a possibility, not as this has to happen. And so his interpretations became less literal as time went on. Um, He started to understand it more and understand that the light isn't totally selfless. It doesn't it has its own agenda. It has its own things Uh, in having player characters that sort of come to like come with that in mind or start to look at it in that way, I think is very fascinating and a really cool uh, RP moment for your character. Uh, So I fully support this and I hope uh, that we've helped a little bit. And I would love to hear more about what your character's decision to do moving forward is with why they wield the, the shadow instead of the light, but also how that feels and sort of the story, the story that unfolds from there on forward. So, but I think we're safe to move on uh, unless there's anything else you want to add to that one.
1: Uh, I would just add this. Um, I liked Joe's analogy, but if you want to keep it horsies the whole way through uh, the, the void is a bucking Bronco. Yes, absolutely. The lights, a draft horse. Mm. It seems predictable.
0: Almost docile.
1: You you know what it's gonna do. It's it's a it's this, but but don't make the mistake of thinking for a second that it isn't an enormous, powerful thing that could crush you easily. If you get too comfortable with a draft horse, you'll learn like my dad did, because he he made the mistake of stepping directly behind a draft horse that was getting its its horseshoes changed. And that horse just gently reached out with its foot and smashed him into the wall so hard that his gallbladder... Explode. That's, to me, the light is, at any moment, it could hurt you. And you've got to remember that. Every There's a reason that paladins... Like, if you look at paladins, they have really horrible deaths. Mm-hmm. Very few paladins have a nice, happy death. Think about all the big-name paladins that have died. Um, Uther, um... Oh, bloody heck. Uh, he just died. Tyrion. Tyrion Fordring. Uh, all, like the ones that Arthas killed. Uh, you know, there was a... Look at a Sa- Satan Dathrothon who got hollowed out and, and eaten by a demon. Like his, there's a, literally a demon walking around wearing his skin for several years because it killed him. They, they're led into lives where they kind of have to accept at any moment I could die because the thing I'm fighting, the thing I'm opposed to... Is unpredictability itself, and I'm trying to help the force that is all about predictability in against it. So I'm basically putting myself on the line of fire here. And uh, it, it's curious to me, like how many how many paladins really th- get to think about that? You know what I mean? How many of them get to actually stop and say, "Wait a minute, I'm kind of I'm kind of risking a lot here." So yeah, there, there's a lot of interesting things about this, in my opinion. Agreed. So, yeah, Das Vidania, let's see what you come up with.
0: <laughs> All right, I think we have time for one more here. Uh, this one also comes from Labat. Uh, what exactly exists within Northern Loderon? or more precisely, the land between Ghostlands and Western plague lands? According to its wiki page, it was originally going to contain a raid zone called Dragon Isles but has since been left. With us revisiting Quel'Thalas in the Midnight expansion, and by extension, I'm assuming Ghostlands, Eversong Woods, and Silvermoon City, do you think Blizzard will fully implement this left-out zone in the near future? Uh, With the recent reclamation of Lordaeron and Gilneas, it seems likely Blizzard is setting up a staging ground of sorts. Matt, what do you think?
1: I mean, basically, Northern Lordaeron is kind of a in paleontology and and the you know the biological sciences biology and so forth uh they have a thing called garbage taxa and or wastebasket taxa uh, you hear about it a lot with with uh dinosaurs basically it's a it's a taxa where they made it up to fit all these different bones that they found and then started realizing wait a minute i'm not too sure that this place this stuff all goes here um i think northern lordaeron is basically that like one example of something that's in northern Lordaeron would be the area we saw. If you if you do the Death Knight starting zone, all that stuff is in northern Lordaeron. Uh, it, to the point where it's literally north of the stuff that we we get in Lates Hope Chapel and so forth. It's it's north of that. It's so it's literally northern Lordaeron. The, the area that the Scarlet Crusade was using as its staging ground, the area that the Death Knights were in, that's that was all north of Lordaeron. So it was northern Lordaeron but in terms of like what's actually in that zone i don't think we have a really good answer for that other than farms and places it was like places that were far enough outside of the day-to-day no- notice of like you know people in lorderon like the city of lorderon that they could the the whole reason that the plague started there was because it was essentially in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. like you know the, the elves didn't care about it they had the part of of the north of Lordaeron, you know, the northern eastern kingdoms, they had the part they wanted. They, they had taken that, the ghostly, well, were now the ghost lanes they weren't the ghostlands then, obviously, but that whole area, Crystal, you know, not Crystal Song, um, what is the name of it? It's something, Song Forest? I don't remember. Oh, well, we'll have to look that up at some point, but that whole area, um, where, where, um, you know, Quelthalas still is, uh, you know, it's that, that place, they had that, and they, that's what they wanted, they didn't care, there was obviously the re- the remnants of Zul'aman. Because keep in mind, Zul'aman used to cover the whole area once. Mm-hmm. Like pretty much everything except the part where the you know where Lordaeron is now was at one time troll up there. Uh, Lordaeron itself wasn't because of the you know me- bad dreams people had because there was an old god servant sleeping directly under it, and they were like, ah, oh, yeah, we don't like this, but that area that isn't the troll area, that isn't the elf area and isn't the more populated human areas. Like for instance, we've we, we often forget that a lot of the areas in the Plaguelands have cities. Yep. Like, you know, you know, there's a Strathholm. that's a city. Yeah. Anderall that's a, That was a city. Um, the area around lights, hope there were cities like tears. You know, what's it? Um, tears hand that area that was a that was a bastion it was a fortified inhabited place and that's across the whole area that's across both eastern and western lands, which were at the time lordaeron just like um the the uh undead starting area the forsaken starting zone um the Terrace fall glades that's that's all lordaeron all of it was lordaeron so i can't sit here and tell you oh well northern lordaeron is where blank is because it's, it's, it was, it's kind of like calling it the Northern Marches or, you know, it was a hazy place where there there wasn't a lot there and the, the stuff that was there wasn't of day-to-day importance to anybody who didn't live there. It was farmland, it was countryside, it was, you know, wilderness, and it was wilderness where no other, like, neither trolls nor elves claimed it. I mean, the trolls claimed it because they claimed everything but they couldn't, uh, they objectively didn't claim it in that they couldn't populate it. They couldn't hold it. They were, they had retreated back to a small area and you can see the places in the Western Plaguelands where they still had bases because until the plague hit, they were still living there and they were living in the hinterlands too, which is even further South. Mm -hmm. So there's, there were like pockets of trolls all the way down, but they didn't have a strong base. The humans basically ran riot over them whenever they wanted to, or, or the elves did. So this, that's one of the reasons that the trolls actually were willing to join the horde. They, they had no idea. They didn't know who the orcs were. The orcs were like monsters from other world for all they knew, but they were monsters from another world that were fighting the people that had stolen all of their land. (laughs) You know, um, keep in mind as I think it's, uh, yeah. Zul'jin even says this was all troll land once and he's not just talking about the area around Zul'Aman he's not just talking about the ghostlands and eversong forest uh, thank you he's talking about all you know all the way down like going straight up into what's now Arathi the, the you know the Arathi highlands that was like there's still trolls there that used to be considered troll land all of it was all like altarak all of that stuff the reason that there's human kingdoms there is because they want a war and took it from them. So in terms of what's in Northern Loderon, troll probably troll ruins, probably a few elven bastions, but, but nothing. It wasn't a heavily populated area. And so it it's, it's a, was a good place to consider putting X thing. Like we're going to put the Dragon Isles. The Dragon Isles wouldn't actually have been in Northern Lordaeron. They would have been off the coast of Northern Lordaeron. It just would have been a good staging area to go there. Uh, then they decided, nope, that's not where they are. They're down here makes sense you know it works for the story they were telling but yeah so there's nothing i don't i can't think of anything specific to tell you is in northern lotheron northern lotheron is whatever they end up needing it
2: to be
0: Yeah, it's, it's one of those blank canvas areas, which, again, and some of this is an artifact of uh, vanilla WoW game development, right? Um, lore aside, WoW itself was a very, very ambitious MMO when it first released. Um, it, it did a lot of things, tried to be larger than any other MMO that was out at the time, or, you know, it, it had a lot of really wild ideas, but it also sort of inherently had built into it room to grow um whether or not they believed that the game would be around in a year when they released it uh there was this idea that you know these would be cool areas to do extra stuff for um and maybe they didn't think that they would be going to to outland in the the first expansion because they weren't even really planning to have an expansion at that point um maybe they thought that we would be going beyond the gray main wall earlier than, than we did, or, you know, going to Northern Loderon and dealing with the area in between that faster than we or earlier than we possibly will be at this point. Um, God, I hear you keying up.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I'm hitting the wrong button. <laughs> I'm but- listening to you and nodding in my head. And as I do, <laughs> my, my finger goes down. That's not your fault. I'm sorry.
0: No, no, you're good. Uh, but it's one of those things where, you know, it, it can be, anything they want it to be because it sort of was always built to have that potential. And so you'll find pockets of areas that if you go back, go back to the classic wow, install it and and just go ride around. um, If you can like, just go look at the way the world used to be Uh, look at, you know, where things are and look how much empty space was between things at the time.
1: Yeah, go to Stratholm and then get yourself out of bounds and wander around. You'll, you'll, there's lots of weird stuff to look at.
0: Yeah, and and that was intentional during the time because it was, again, the world they wanted it to feel large and 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 bigger. And don't forget, flying wasn't around yet. Um, so running from one place to another needed to to make the world feel large, uh, but that also meant that not everything could be a point of interest immediately. But sometimes things were added later, whether it was a cave system in that mountain that you ran by in the barrens a thousand times, uh, whether it was uh, a now encampment that was built up of, of, uh, you know, razor bore quill or quillman and things like that. Like that's sort of the beauty of it. And the ghost lands is sort of the, or, or the Northern Lorderon, whatever you want to call it is an area where after cataclysm, it wasn't redone and it still has that same verdant potential that that area had when it was first conceived when the game first released. It's one of the rare things that have left over and whether or not we're going to get something that that goes in there or tells us that it's a point of interest or whatever, you know, it, it very well may. It may never. We don't know. But it's an ace that they can pull out whenever they need something else. Like people joke about how they're tired of trolls, but what if we were looking at ancient troll ruins? You know, there's possibility that there's a ton of stuff there that we might be able to go through uh, and maybe learn a little bit more about the stuff we're dealing with. Um, maybe there's an artifact cache. Maybe there's an old Titan facility. There's still ones that we haven't seen that we know were referenced. There's, a ton of possibilities of stuff that they could use that area for. And maybe one day we'll see it. Maybe one day we won't. It's really, it's a blank slate. It's a, it's a check they can cash in anytime. Uh And honestly, I'm okay with that. I think it would be really neat. Is there anything else to add Matt?
1: I mean, yeah, but I think like we've probably covered it enough. Uh, yeah. It's one of those things that just, you know, anything that they were thinking about doing, they ended up not doing, or they did. You know, um, like we, we, we could talk about the fact that the Emerald dream that you guys just saw, you know, that we just saw at the end of, of, uh, dragon, uh, Dragonflight, There was, there was an Emerald dream stuff back going back to before BC was even like a, a conception, like you could fall through the deadline, the dead mines and end up in the Emerald dream. Mm-hmm. And it didn't look very much like what we got. Uh, but I mean, there was some stuff like the weird statues, but they, they were thinking about how to implement it. They were like, we could very easily have ended up in the world where instead of what we got, the last raid of vanilla was the Dragon Isles, and then the next expansion was all Emerald Dream.
0: Which I think at one point was the original plan.
1: I don't know if they were actually as far along as planning it, but there was the potential was there. So yeah, it is. it's interesting to conceive of these things, but in the end... As Joe so ably put it, it is whatever they decide that it is right now. It's like a, it's like Schrodinger's zone because we don't, you know, it's both, it's both this and that until the, you know, the box is opened and the waveform is collapsed. It it is whatever we tell we're told it is.
0: Maybe one day it'll be, maybe one day it'll be a, a swamp in which an ogre of many layers will live with his friend, donkey. We never. It it, it could be. It could be that, or legally distinct IP. You know, non-infringement there within. Maybe, maybe Steamboat Willie lives there now that that's you know public domain. Who knows? It could be anything. It could even be a boat. Um, I mean, Superman are both entering the public domain in a few years. Ooh, Superman and wow, we're going to, there's going to be some wild shows. I'm y'all don't know the, the notebook that lives next to my desk that whenever Matt says something that triggers like a weird response of this would be fun later. I just write it in the notebook and then eventually we, we break them out, but I think that's going to do it for today. Friends. I do want to thank you because blizzard watch is made possible due to your generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzard watch. Your continued support means that this podcast signing community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to our podcast. A better chance at having your question answered on our podcast for the queue and an answer. site experience. Uh, we are, I believe still celebrating at the time of this recording, our birthday, uh, sites, nine years old. It's, yeah, it's
1: February. So, yep.
0: Uh, so, you know, if you were looking for some merch, go ahead, to, head to our website. We got links out there. It's a very, very beautiful, uh, cute little Phoenix that, uh, uh, has been our mascot since the rebirth of this website. Uh, uh, and that's really cute. You can get yourself all sorts of cool things. T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, mugs, uh, the whole thing. Get yourself some Blizzard Watch swag. Uh, represent us out there in the wild. Uh, if you feel so inclined uh, to share our content, please feel free to do so. Uh, leave us comments, likes. We do appreciate those as well. As a final reminder, if you have questions for this or any of our podcasts, be sure to send those into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, specify the show that it is for in the subject line, as well as any special pronunciation of your name. If you want to send those in on Discord, we have the Q and podcast Questions channel, which is open to everybody. Same rules apply there. And if you're a Patreon subscriber as a way of saying thank you, uh, we have a special channel set aside for the Patreon Q and podcast questions channel where we tend to look for first, where a lot of these questions actually have come from. So with that, folks, we'll see you next week.